So now we're going to start with nutrition. The Journal of American Medical Association in 2002 said that most diseases were caused by insufficient nutrient and vitamin intake. Most chronic diseases. These studies did not include what you can buy on Amazon. So I want you to know that they're quality versus quantity. Um, and that the recommend daily allowance from the RDA that you see on every single packaging is only enough to fight off a disease. So if it says you should have this much amount of vitamin C a day, it's to fight off scurvy. It's not to keep your joints intact. It's not to keep your immune system there. It's not to keep your teeth from falling out. It's to fight off scurvy. Okay. So um, that's why if you've ever gotten something from us, it's more than the RDA. But that's what the RDA is there for, is for packaging only. Okay, in 2009, Congress of Obesity found that high fructose corn syrup is the main cause of obesity. And I'm just going to skip a little bit further along. Journal of Epidemiology, I'm going to skip. An, oh, Environmental Health in 2009 said that the highest source of mercury found is not vaccines. It's in high fructose corn syrup. I know it's in vaccines and they try to take it out of them. But it's in high fructose corn syrup. Okay, well, you want to screw up your nervous system, have some mercury poisoning. Uh, also, leptin resistance, BPA, cadmium, and arsenic are getting into our food system at an alarming rate. So in 1998, just, just some thought processes go out here as we get into nutrition. Um, um, that the correct uh, drug at the correct dose for the right condition is still killing just from a side effect of all the correct stuff, 106,000 Americans a year. It's pretty high. Aspirin alone is killing 12,000 people uh, a year. And NSAIDs by themselves, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, 1999, are the 15th leading cause of health, of death, I'm sorry, 15th leading, leading cause of death. And then the Journal of Surgical and Neurology in 2006 said if people could have adequate intake of omega-3, and now we use omega-3s, but we use them as part of the essential fatty acid. And if we have time later, I'll tell you about the whole fatty acid cascade. But uh, it'll take about 10 minutes to do that, and I don't think I have enough time, and I want to be respectful of everybody's time. That if you had adequate supply of omega-3, that you would reduce degenerative joint disease by 59%. Now, that's a conflict of interest. That takes money out of their pocket. But they're trying to say that as prevention. Hey, you guys, if you did this, um, we wouldn't be doing so many surgeries. I like that. I like those. And supplementing the correct, the correct vitamin D can reduce cancer by 75%. This is the Annals of Epidemiology in 2009. And um, in 2009, Pediatrics Journal reported that autism is now 1 in 99 kids. And that uh, in the Journal of Neurology of 2009, if you just take one NSAID a day, and if you don't know what an NSAID is, it's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, and you still don't know what that is, it's aspirin, Tylenol, ibuprofen. Those are NSAIDs. And they used to be prescription only. But they made it into the world. And so that was also the same with our um, Zyrtec, Allegra, and Claritin, those type of uh, uh, allergy medications. And they fall into this category too, but they're actually worse. But um, the study from the Journal of Neurology 2009 said so just one inside a day, just one, and most people that are in pain take a lot more, can reduce the incidence of Alzheimer's by 66%. That's kind of alarming. That's where we're going to get to the brain. So, um, this came from the New England Journal of Medicine of 2009 kids for the first time ever since the bubonic plague. 
are now not living longer than their parents. Well, we need to do something about that. Well, what should we do in the United States? Well, diabetes is at an all-time high. It's increased by 300% since the 90s. Uh, the United States is 36 in the world in health, according to the World Health Organization. But we're number one in spending. We're number one. That's not the way to go. That should be the reverse. Number one in health, number 35 in spending. But we're not. So with that, I'm going to move on to... I'm going to get back to a little bit more nutrition. There's just some highlights that go into it. But I have to talk about where nutrition actually gets in. You're going to eat it and it goes to your gut. Well, a lot of people have this thing called leaky gut. Have you ever heard of that? It's like saying that this is right here. This is my kneecap. There's no such thing in the medical literature called kneecap. It's called a patella. There's no such thing in the medical literature called leaky gut. It's called intestinal permeability. Permeability. So... Um, we'll use leaky gut uh, as a monitor because obviously I'm having trouble saying intestinal permeability. But that's what the research is. And right now there's 206 clinical studies on leaky gut just in the gastroenterology journals alone. And that was the last check I had on PubMed. So that's just that side. Of course, there's, now it's in psychology and neurology and uh, cardiovascular studies. It's not, not to mention all the neurology that's going on. So, leaky gut, if we look at what can possibly cause it, well, if you already had another autoimmune disease, you can have it, but it's a breakdown, it's immune dysregulation. There could be stress, there could be drugs, uh, lack of enzymes, what's called neurotransmitters, neuropeptides, immune dysregulation, uh, infections, uh, bad intestinal flora, blood sugar is too high, blood sugar is too low, blood pressure is too high, blood pressure is too low, injuries, injuries to brain. Um, other infections, other inflammatory fragments of proteins, and then they break down. So in Kansas City, if we look at a highway, they typically put them in in sections. And in Kansas City, they have an angle to that section because what's going to happen in the winter? It's going to snow. The snow is going to melt. The snow is going to get in there. The water is going to get into the cracks. It's going to freeze overnight. It's going to expand. It's going to have cracks. That is actually what a leaky gut is. Something gets in there, an infection, uh, the wrong food, too much sugar, high fructose corn syrup gets in there, it expands, it cracks. Now you have an opening for everybody and their mom to get into your bloodstream. And now that causes inflammation. And one of the worst things that can get in there is these things called lectins, which is gluten, which is why we want to stay away from it. If everything's working fine, you don't have an issue with gluten, but you'd be surprised how many people we test that have no symptoms that have a gluten sensitivity. It is alarming how high it is. So um, these can all affect brain chemistry. So let's talk about this gluten thing. Um, we've gone back and forth. A few doctors called the office. This is just a fad. Never heard of this thing. It's bogus, whatever. So I had to get armed. So here's the history of gluten. In 1850, the first extraction process began. In 1855, they first observed in the medical world gluten intolerance. Not the chiropractic world, not the functional medicine world, not the naturopathic world, not the homeopathic world, medical world. In 1892, Ford started using whole wheat cereal. This is Ford from like Ford uh, trucks. In 1894, a gastroenterologist who was working with his patients that for the most part were constipated because they're eating uh, squirrels and rabbits and whatever they could get their hands on, a lot of meat. 
very little vegetables, very little roughage. These people were having constipation. So he found that if you had grain, especially that with gluten, that had been uh, processed, that it would relieve their constipation, knowing that it was a gastroirritant. His name was Dr. Kellogg. Two years later, another gastroenterologist created something called grape nuts. His name was Dr. Post. Interesting. So that's the formula that we put into our breakfast foods. Most of our breakfast stuff has everything to do with this. Imagine what happened to our health in our country as these things have gone through. But wait, there's more. Gluten cannot be found in human history. I mean, it, it's on the plant, but they didn't use it. It's man-derived, and we have changed the process. In 1922, the AMA warned that gluten is a problem. They didn't want you to even eat grains. So, when I've had somebody in the medical community come and question me, I said, it didn't come from our group. It came from your group almost 100 years ago. And it's been ignored. In 1931, Dr. Dickey, a pediatrician, started to... He's the one that started talking about celiac disease. In 1932, Dr. Crohn's identified Crohn's disease. In 1940, chemical fertilizers were used to increase the yield, but they also decreased the nutrients and inflamed the bowel. A very good idea to feed people, but it left a problem that still exists. So uh, Cargill and Monsanto, and I have a lot of farmers as patients, so I get to a lot of information. Um, their practices are very profitable in nature. Um, well, in 1943, the U.S. government said, okay, that's enough. There was a condition called beriberi. It's a neurological condition. So they fortified their grains with B1 and B3. And they made a rule. Congress enacted a rule. If you don't put this in here, you can't sell the product. So they did. And so when I was a kid, uh, when I saw something fortified with it, well, gosh, that makes it sound like it's good for me. But here's the deal. You couldn't sell it until you fortified it. All you've done is make it uh, so you don't create a neurological disorder today. But that's what's happened. In fact, the marketing is really good. If you look at the boxes, each cartoon is sitting at 9.5% angle because they found that that is the perfect angle to sell to kids when you put a cartoon on it. They know what they're doing. So in 1953, it was known that these grains destroyed the mucosal linings within the gut, and this is what can create autoimmunity. This is what celiac is. So they came up with three tests, an alpha-gliadin, a barley, and what's called transglutaminase. Since then, there have been 120 other tests with higher sensitivity, higher specificity found. But our standard testing and every single lab that we work with, except for outside non-insurance labs, still tests the three. So if you had 100 on a test and you got three wrong, you didn't test for those, you'd be called celiac negative, but you have 97% of everything else. That's what our standard testing is. So that's why we have to use other labs when we need to when we're looking for these things. This is just one condition. Okay, so the food labeling that goes with this is also 1953 science. The testing is 1953 science, so we, we can be better. When you have a GMO food, it also increases lectins, and lectins is more gluten. So you genetically modify the food to make it work better, but it also produces a poison that is affecting people. So when you have a gut issue, you can have a brain issue. 
It's called a gut-brain axis. There's 400 times more signals from the gut to the brain than the brain and the rest of the body. And that's why psychiatrists now are looking at the gut to try to support their psychiatric patients. So I'm going to move on to the brain. Alzheimer's can cost you right now $150,000 a year in a low-level institution. So if you have all the genes and all the prerequisites to get Alzheimer's, and we can hold that off for a few years, if not more, is it worth it to you? Alzheimer's was virtually unknown 100 years ago. The Journal of Neurology, again, back to April 22, 2009, said that one incident a day can increase your incidence of Alzheimer's dementia by 66%. We know that the addition of MSG, monosodium glutamate, and aspartame, they're overexcitatory and they greatly affect how your nervous system works. And there are supplements that have this in here too, not just the food products. There's only 7,000 things that have aspartame in it, but there are multiple multiple multivitamins that have things called chelate or aspartate or glutamate in them. Guess what? Those are excitatory to the brain. They don't help you. So Merck admitted that uh, they also have put MSG into their chickenpox vaccine and their varicella vaccine. It, they say it stabilizes, but you're putting it right into the bloodstream. It's getting right in the body. Well, why isn't the body having a reaction to it? So every time you eat it, you have an issue. I don't see that makes a lot of sense to me. So MSG can cause brain lesions in lab animals, obesity, reproductive disorders, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. And this came from Russell Blayock, a medical doctor that is uh, more of a whistleblower than anything else. And what they have found that uh, there are good fats and bad fats, omega-3 versus omega-6. And the ratio should be really one-to-one before one, one gets everything done. But the average American is 25 to 1. So there is a reason why so many of my patients get essential fatty acids. We don't just give them the flax or the fish oil or whatever. It's a combination. Essential means it's essential for life. Because I'm trying to get those ratios down. And today I've, I've asked everybody if you want to run the test, you can run it. But nobody has asked to have that test run. It's like 150 bucks. So it's okay. But as long as we're getting our other markers of inflammation down, we know we're getting that one down too. And then there's this uh, low laser light. At 635 nanometers. So in my office, we use a little laser. It's red. That's what 632 is. But not only we use it for acupuncture points, we use it on points of the brain to help with the neurotransmission. And it was only because there's been research, and this came out in the Journal of Neuroscience, and they were using it for beta amyloid plaques in rats. And they were getting great results, but I don't think there's any money in it. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't do something for these people, or if somebody had a loved one and nothing was being done, we talk about what can they eat, what can they take, maybe use this little laser. If you can stop the progression or slow it down, it makes a difference. It doesn't mean you're gonna solve it or grade it or make it better. So what drives these things called neurodegeneration, which is Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia? It's altered fuel, it's low oxygen, it's glucose changes, too high and too low, fatty acid imbalances that go there. But the things that drive your brain, or your, the things that age your body are aging your brain. So we look at the outside as well as the inside. I'm just gonna have one quick blurb about genetics. I could talk about genetics for a week. Um, and we do genetic testing just to make sure that we're not missing part of our program. But, um, and it's helpful to me to really enhance and, and do what's going on. But uh, for the first 16 years we weren't doing that but this just catches the other stuff so epigenetics is really the expression of the role you don't have to have all the genes for cancer you don't have to have all the 
safety genes for cancer. If I go sit in Chernobyl long enough, I'm probably going to have cancer, even if I don't have that gene. It's called radiation. Matter has limitations to it, all that 0.1%. So most genes are bound by chemicals, this thing called a, a methylation, that can render a gene on or off. Um, but there are things that affect gene processes. Oxidation is one of them. So if I sit outside, I have a car and it has chrome bumpers and I leave it outside all the time and the water rains on it and then the sun comes out, it's going to end up oxidizing. Oxidation is called a rust. Then there can be free radicals. Uh, we have blood tests that can check to see how you're oxidizing and what free radicals are going on. And uh, this, the genetic world is supposed to make sure that your immune system, your detoxification, your nervous system, your inflammation, your mood, your energy hormones are all working. So that's why we like to look at it and we like to predict the future and you know if we see something in the genes that says you have all this for this we can at least run a blood test for it and monitor those blood tests and try to make sure that everything you're doing is keeping that off. That's what we're doing it for. So now I'm going to go into the nutrition side of this. Number one, diet is a four-letter word with the first three of the words being diet. Uh, what's the number one veggie in the United States? Potatoes. And McDonald's is the number one producer of cooked food in the world. The average American eats 135 pounds of sugar in a year and drinks 55 gallons of soft drinks. GMOs were induced in 1920 and known that they were going to probably use about one-fifth of their nutrients in the guesstimation at times in certain foods is about one in 100. They've lost 99% of the nutrition they once had. The FDA generally, generally recognizes GMOs as safe, but they also recognize Roundup as safe. Uh, a few years ago, ephedra, which is a dietary supplement and should never have been used for a dietary supplement, killed 12 athletes, and there was outrage for this dietary supplement. However, in the treatment of asthmatics, especially those who cannot immediately get into the hospital to have a treatment, it can be very wonderful and life-saving. That said, aspirin, also deemed safe, kills 12,000 people a year and is not an outrage. So. Uh, while I understand the FDA is very busy and they have not a lot of time to address these things, there's too much politics involved when it comes to our health. We know that microwaves are radiation. They are banned in certain parts of Europe, and the last I heard in Russia. And in our water system, chlorine, such as bleach and Clorox, kills living cells, but it's in our water. So is fluoride, which is considered an environmental toxin, according to the EPA, and has to be transported to us, but it's in our water. Uh, if you go to a dentist, they didn't say you couldn't have a fluoride treatment once uh, in a few years, or if you really do have just terrible teeth issues, maybe we should work on your mineral content in your diet and see if we can't get that to absorb, or if there's a gene that's doing that. Um, but to need a fluoride treatment every single year may not be safe enough for me. So uh, both of these, chloride and fluorine, uh, scar the arteries much as hydrogenated fats and lead to decreased performance, shortened lives, and cardiovascular events. Does anybody know what milk is for? Dairy milk, not all milk, but milk. It is to grow an infant to about 2,000 pounds in a couple years, so put on a lot of weight with a low IQ. And so the question is, well, where do I get my calcium? I said, well, I'll ask you this. Have you ever seen a big old bull waddle over to heifer? and reach down and start sucking because he needs his calcium. No, they ate it. What was the color of the thing they ate? It was green. That's where we want our calcium from. By the way, calcium 
comes in forms. One of the forms is called calcium carbonate. Calcium carbonate is otherwise known as chalk, like a blackboard with chalk. That's what's in cow's milk. It's not made for us. It's very, very hard to digest. You have to have a completely acidic stomach to get there. And this is what they put in Tums, which is, always makes me giggle. I had an argument once with another doctor about getting Tums into uh, a patient or, and that Tums had calcium and that would qualify. <laughs> so I'll... Um, after a friendly phone call that didn't go well, I went ahead and copied uh, some textbook in my physiology and I sent them um, a copy of how calcium is absorbed and it has to be on a completely acidic stomach. That's why you take calcium magnesium usually at night. They're also a natural sedative when you do it that way. But you can't absorb calcium with Tums because it's an antacid and it has to be extremely acidic for calcium carbonate. So in the green leafy stuff, you might get calcium citrate, calcium malate. There's other uh, forms, calcium lactate. So there is no drug for optimal health. There is no supplement for optimal health. They're all man-made. So it's a combination of doing the best we can with that nutrition or food that we do and making sure your nervous system is working and making sure that your structure is working. And this is how we get into um, our next process, which is, well, what should I get for multivitamin? Generally not. A few cases that we have to give it. Failure to thrive, some of this malnourished, we do that. We'll take parts of a multivitamin. But a multivitamin should never have copper in it. It should never have iron in it. It should never have calcium in it. And if it violates those three, it should be out. And why would you put probiotics with that? You take probiotics by themselves at a different time. So uh, we do have inorganic calcium, or I'm sorry, inorganic copper, which would be the same as if you went out and had a Moscow meal and drank out of copper cup, or you drank out of copper drinks, or you cooked out of copper pans. That inorganic copper gets into your food. What that causes are neurological issues. But if it's in your food organically, you'll be fine with it. There is this a small trace amount of copper that you do need. <sighs> so. That leads to artificial sweeteners. It's taught in schools right now that artificial drinks are better than regular drinks. It really is. <laughs> the studies are deep and real of how after 20 years it has turned off your thyroid, it has turned off your metabolism, and you have a rooting reflex as it goes through its process that makes you reach for more food, more calories. It slows down your thyroid so you can't burn off the same amount of calories. It will catch you. So the Journal of Obesity 2008 proved this point. Aspartame is also nervous system toxic. It blocks leptin resistance. And that leads to hormones. Well, leptin is a fat hormone that tells you when to stop eating. Aspartame can block that. So now we have low T centers popping up everywhere. Um, nobody on earth ever had low T before. So I'm going to give a stance. I'm not against hormone replacement. But my rules are, I have to make sure that the thyroid is working, your blood sugar is working, you can't have too high or too low blood sugar, your liver is working and that your gut is working. And if all those are there and you still have a hormone imbalance, it's probably safest to take hormone replacement at that time. Until you get there, it's not. That's why there are side effects. So Julian Whitaker once said, unless the doctor of the future becomes a registered dietitian, then the dietitian is gonna become the doctor of the future. Thomas Edison said that the doctors of the future will give them medicine, but their interest will be in the patient and the care of human frames, which is structure and neurology, and diet, which is our chemistry, and the cause of prevention of disease. This is where we get into the genetics and look at epigenetics and your previous genetics that are there. 
So I'm getting short on time, but I'm going to give you a case study, and then we're going to talk about shoes, and then we'll be done for the night. Number one, this is typical in the United States. 43-year-old woman. She's anemic. She's autoimmune. Um, she first had norepinephrine, epinephrine, heiner, we'll say uh, spit tests. She's been to some naturopaths and other doctors. Now the cortisol is high. She has brain fog. She does yoga once a day for an hour. She can't lose the extra 15 pounds. She's done paleo. She's done Whole30. She's done all these things. She's done the HEA diet. And um, she's extremely fatigued all the time. So she goes to an immunologist. The immunologist says, well, we need to check the, the gut biome. And possibly can give you some immunosuppressive drugs for immunity. Okay? You go to the surgeon. I've got these extra 50 pounds. What are you going to do? Well, we need to liposuction it. And we can go on and on and on on the different doctors you can go to. Who's right? Well, if you're bloating, then you're probably having, if your gut bloats, then it's going to be brain as well, brain inflamed. So it's probably going to be some depression. It's probably going to be some memory loss. Probably going to see some fatigue. Probably can't sleep. These are early signs of neurodegeneration, by the way. When people aren't sleeping and they're swelling, uh, we go right into neurotest and we want to get on top of it. So my question is, who's right? Mm, I don't know if liposuction is the... The deal, maybe the gut biome, I can agree with the immunologist, uh, immunosuppressive drugs, well, let's get this under control first, and that's where it started, but um, this is why we're in practice, it's all uh, your own opinion. But my gut feeling is, if I have a plant, and it's wilting, what do I do with that plant? I give it food, I water it, I love it, I try to have it grow. So that's the process that I'm doing through. So with that, let me leave you with something that you can go home with at the very end and talk about shoes. And Diane, I'm going to um, give that in a different format and we'll go from there. All right, bye.